morning. Wonderful to be with you. I uh, was once, I think, here, um, that is over in the other place, the netball center. So this is, this is a great place to, to worship in the morning. I just was praying while uh, we were worshiping that uh, very soon this is too small um, and that your numbers will double this next year. Wouldn't that be great? Because there's a lot of people that are playing out there or that are going to the cafe on Sunday mornings that actually need this, the community of God, that need to be encouraged and strengthened in their walk and that need their focus reshaped on the things that are internal. But um, while we were worshiping, especially that last song, you know, the, 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 there was another thought that came to me. You know, we're, we were singing uh, that we will sing and worship Jesus for endless days. And that's, I mean, that's a very Christian thing to kind of say and th sing. And, and, uh, and I'm sure that we're all sincere about that. But I thought, we don't need to wait for that. That's not a thing of, you know, the hereafter and in heaven. And actually, I think if we don't start living like that now, we won't do that in heaven. We won't enjoy that in heaven. Uh, it's actually something, it's a statement about our relationship, our ongoing, deepening, growing relationship, intimacy, love with Jesus. That is, that, that is what, what he invites us into. That is what is for right now. It's not for some other day. And so let that be an encouragement uh, to think as you, as you go into your next week. How can I actually live that? There was a saint way back in the Middle Ages called Brother Lawrence. And he wrote a little booklet. Actually, we wrote the booklet um, you know, in modern days by compiling some of his letters. But he talked about practicing the presence of God. And you know what? That is, it's, it's in one sense, God says, I will be with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we know that he is here with us. But at the same time, there is an active, a proactive stance that we need to enter into that where we need to make room for that, where we need to actually say, hey, we're here as well. You know, we, we're present. We're, we're with you, Jesus. Um, otherwise, we sort of pass each other like ships in the night. And, uh, and then one day we'll be in heaven and we go like, oh, you know, worshiping Jesus day in, day out, really? Just leaving that with you. Um, I pulled together a little PowerPoint uh, last night because uh, Mike sent me one picture and so I added a little bit to it. I'm sure that you're all familiar if you uh, go to the next one uh, was Mike, Shana, Isaac and little Claire Jai. Um, she looks gorgeous, eh? Uh, and and uh, yeah, we love these guys as you love them. And Mike said, please pass on greetings and also thanks to the church. Because apparently around Christmas or so, you took up an offering or you sent some gifts, and they arrived in uh, their location in two stages, one in February, and, but it was too much. So I think it was Shana's mom who was taking it over, and, and so the second installment came in July with Shana's sister. 
And so he said it was great. It was like sort of an extended Christmas. And uh, they're very grateful for your support and for your prayers, for your encouragement, and obviously for the love that you are sending their way. Um, Mike shared a couple of things with me. So if we go to the next slide. Uh, those of you who went to the quiz night, um, I'm sorry I wasn't here. I was in Europe at the time. Actually just came back uh, earlier this week. So if I launch into German grammar, you know why that is. Or if my idioms are sort of kind of weird, that's probably the reason for that. But um, he was, uh, he, they, they made this little video about a frog farm that they're involved with. And um, he said, you know, he's been working out there uh, in the countryside. It's an income-generating project for, first of all, this family, but hopefully for more people in the village and for the women who often are sort of the third rung in the, in the village. They, they, you know, they're, they're often without jobs, and, and there's a lot of evil stuff that happens because of the economic hardships they face. And so um, I think it was uh, uh, this week, uh, this coming week, that he was going to start the fish pond um, and populate that with 400 fish, small fish, that they will grow over the next few months so that they can sell them in the market and that these guys here, first of all, the family, but then others in the village will have extra protein to eat. And then the exciting part is that they'll start to grow frogs. So if you wonder why frogs, why on earth frogs, I just you know, did a little fun thing and looked on the internet last night um, because uh, you know, if you've never been to uh, Southeast Asia, then you're not familiar with what's going on. So they have these little uh, street stalls where you can pick up food, you know, sort of like, like a hamburger or you know, French fries. You know? So they have a few other things that they have on offer, maybe next one. Um, so there's, you know, some veggie stuff and salads that they make up on the go, and then they have, you know, these beautiful meat offerings, you know, sausages and sausage balls and so on. But they also have, next slide, please, da-da, da-da, frogs, you know, because frogs are actually a wonderful source of protein, and uh, they taste yummy. Have you ever, anybody ever eaten frog? The French love, yeah, the French love frog legs. Uh, you know, if you've got a good chunky frog leg and you don't know that you're eating it, you actually think you're eating chicken. Uh, so, they, you know, I mean, it looks a bit, uh, okay, dubious, especially when they do the whole nine yards, you know, and fry that up. Uh, but that's the idea. It's actually a... You know, it's an income-generating, food-generating project. And so they hope within half a year or so to start farming frogs. And sort of the projection is, first of all, 2,000, and then, you know, take it on from there and see how it goes. So that's an exciting project that they're involved with. Uh, next slide. Uh, this one uh, Mike sent over last night, and he said, this is actually Isaac playing with one of his uh, little friends, a school friend, in the house of that family. And the striking thing is, when you look at it, you know, I mean, that, compare that with the village before. You know, this is the house of a super rich family. And Mike shared how, because Isaac befriended this little boy in his preschool or, or school, 
Mike has been able to build a relationship with this boy's dad. And, uh, and this dad was completely uh, blown away by the fact that Shana is there teaching English. And not just teaching English, but teaching English for free. And he said, why on earth would you do that? Why on earth would you come to our country and teach, you know, poor people to speak English? And so Mike had a wonderful opportunity and an ongoing invitation to share the reason why they actually are doing that. And that is because the love of God, the love of their Heavenly Father compels them. And so it's, um, you know, it's, it's on both ends of the spectrum and all in between. There are many people out there who have never encountered the love of Jesus and who need to find him. It's in the house of the super rich, and it is in the village of the extremely poor. Um, and the methodology, the, the approach, the way the doors open differ widely, but it's wonderful to see how Mike and Shana and their family are involved in being a witness, a testimony to that love of Jesus. And there's a last slide. Uh, <clears throat> um, this is not Jane. Uh, but it's sort of a placeholder uh, for a young lady that we'll call Jane, who is a part-time household helper. Now, you might say, what? You know, they have a household helper? Why? You know, how come? Uh, let me tell you, my wife and I, we lived in Asia for many, many years. And uh, it's a very normal thing. Because, you know, in a lot of situations... Life is actually much more demanding, challenging, difficult, and you, you know, it's not just like, you know, you go down to pack and save and you pick up your groceries for the week. You, you actually have to go to the market every day uh, to, to pick up fresh fruit or, or veggies. And, and a lot of stuff is more complex. There's a lot of dust flying around, and so cleaning is, is an ever-consuming task, and so on. And so... It's, it's on one hand, it's a very practical help so that Mike and Shana can do what they're called to do. But it is also a wonderful opportunity to invest into local people. And where we live, up in the high mountains of the Himalayas, in a people group that had never been reached by the gospel, it actually opened the door for a number of young women to find Jesus and to make peace with him and uh, to start a whole new walk of life. And similarly, uh, the Akka tribe that uh, this Jane um, belongs to, and this is a picture of a young Akka woman, uh, they're scattered over a number of countries. In some countries, there's already a Christian population, but apparently in Laos, in, in uh, Southeast Asia, there's, there's no uh, Christian witness amongst them yet. Yet, this young lady is a believer. And so Mike and Shana are able to invest into her, to disciple and grow her faith in her Savior. And that is absolutely awesome. So you can see in so many different ways, it's an, it's a, it's a, a, an all-consuming 24-7 involvement with the people of uh, their location. And you guys are part of that team. You're supporting, you're praying, you're investing into them, enables them to do what they're doing out there. And that is wonderful. And on behalf of Interserve, I want to thank you for sending these wonderful people. They're an 
absolute blast, this couple, and we love them deeply. So we can understand that you guys love them as well and, and support them. <clears throat> now, um, there is, oh yeah, you've got that up there. Just keep it up there just for a moment because I wanted to, to just briefly say, you know, in InterServe, we believe in holism. We believe that the gospel of Jesus is holistic. It's not just a message that you share with people verbally or on a Sunday morning, but it is something that is 24-7. You know, like, like that little thing about, you know, singing to Jesus or, or, you know, developing that intimacy, that relationship on an ongoing basis. Our message is something that should really infiltrate every facet of our life, whether we're at work, whether we're at home, whether we're with friends and playing, whether we're relaxing, whether we come to church on Sunday or, you know, sit in the cafe. Somewhere, you know, that should shine out of us. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about the aroma of Christ that emanates out from us. And if you know anything about aroma, um, you know, if you put on deodorant in the morning or perfume, you can't help it. Wherever you go, people pick that up and they go like, whoops, what was that? Opium or, you know, uh, they, they just pick it up because you carry it wherever you go. And so that's how this thing with being a follower of Jesus should work as well. That's the idea. It's not that we have to make huge, big, extra efforts every day, you know, just work it up and with a grim face, think, how can I share this? You know, how can I whip somebody over the head with the Bible? How can I somehow force it into their day? No, it should just come out of us and it should actually be attractive. And I think that's, that's what we mean with holism, that through all of our lives, through our skills, through our words and our deeds, that the gospel of Jesus, the good news of a Savior who loves us, who loves us so much that he gave his own life, that he came and let go of all his heavenly treasures, that he came and invested himself and lived with us. That he showed us a way to the Father. And that he then opened that door wide open so that everybody who wants can come in. And, and there's no precondition. There's nothing that we have to do in order to qualify. We are already qualified through Jesus' blood. We are invited. And all the people out there, you know, the sad thing is that so many people out there experience Christianity as a religion that demands change of them before they can actually um, experience Christ. You know, I don't know how that comes across, but, but it does. You know, and so there are a lot of people out there who are alienated, you know, from the gospel. And, and something needs to change. And I think it has to do with this 24-7 thing, this, this thing that we actually fall all over in love with Jesus again. And that that love compels us. And that out of that, that love, we live and have our being. And, and, and then it, it flows into the lives of people. And they, they feel loved and accepted, just as they did when Jesus walked the earth. Now, if you notice in, in the Gospels, in, in, in <clears throat> Jesus' day, he had all these people that 
were the baddies of their day. They came. They found him attractive. They loved hanging out. The tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, you know, all the baddies, all the scum of the earth. You know, the religious people were very upset with Jesus because he seemed to attract like a magnet all these people that they had condemned and that they had disqualified from the kingdom. And yet Jesus was able to draw them all in. And I believe that the more we fall in love with Jesus, the more we know this beautiful Jesus, that will be emanating from us as well. That will be, you know, the quality of our life that will attract others. So, um, I, there, there is a, a quote by a guy called Tim Dearborn, an Anglican uh, uh, theologian, that I really, really love. I'll just read it for you guys because to me, it strikes at the heart of what mission is. It says, God desires that we be like living signs of the kingdom to provide visual aids of what life will look like one day when the kingdom is here fully. We will not bring the kingdom or build the kingdom. You know, that's our tendency. We think, oh, how, can, how can we plant churches? How can we build programs? Do this, that, and the other. No, 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 no. That's not what the kingdom is like. You know, those are things that maybe flow out of our love for Jesus. But, but that's really secondary at best. You know, it, it comes way behind. We will not build the kingdom um, or bring the kingdom. But our privilege is to live out, listen to this, our privilege is to live out previews of coming attractions. Isn't that beautiful? I just love that. That's what, that's what we're called to do, to just simply be alive and live out previews of coming attractions, revealing what this kingdom will look like. And that, sums up what mission is about. I could sit down right now, which I won't, don't worry. I'll keep you occupied for a little bit longer. But, uh, you know, that to me is, is what mission is all about. Previews of coming attractions. As we live, we live invitational. You know, and people can see in our lives what this kingdom will look like. And if they see that, they'll want a slice of it. Guaranteed. So, with that, I wanted to talk a little bit about Acts 1. Let me read uh, the first eight verses. In my first book, which is uh, uh, Dr. Luke, as we understand, writing to Theophilus. Um, he had written the Gospel of Luke, talking about the life of Jesus, and now he talks about what happened after he died. So he says, in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John 
baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Easter is over. The resurrection is over. And Jesus, we see, is spending some more time with his gang. He wants to hang out with his disciples just a little bit longer in order to help them to understand, first and foremost, one thing. And that is, I am alive. You know, for the disciples, the world would have collapsed. You know, they, they were with Jesus for three years, and they had high hopes. They really were expecting big things. And then, Jesus gets taken captive. He gets nailed to a cross. He gets sentenced to die, and he is gone. I mean, they would have been distraught, and they would have been absolutely besides themselves. Now what? What are we going to do with this? And I think often our lives resemble that a little bit because the reality that Jesus is alive, the reality that Jesus is with us is somewhat hard to capture, is somewhat hard to, to experience when, you know, Monday morning rolls around and we're back at work, you know, and the kids need to be rushed off to school and, you know, everything, you know, stuck in traffic trying to get over the harbor bridge and I don't know what, you know. And, and it gets really tough to think that Jesus is actually with us. And so Jesus said, no, I, I want to spend some more time with my disciples to make sure, absolutely crystal clear, sure, that I am alive. I'm not dead. I'm not in the grave. This is not over. This has only just begun. And that's the message that he's hammering home to his disciples. I'm here. Get it? He appears to them numerous times, you know, to, in ones, in twos, in the whole group. He walks through closed doors. He does all kinds of amazing stuff. You know, and then he, it says, even appeared to about 500 of them at one time. Just to make it absolutely clear and beyond any shadow of dispute. Because, I mean, people up to this day dispute whether Jesus was actually a real figure. Whether he really lived. You know, but, I mean, by any legal proof, we have it. You know, in a court of law, this would stand. Because there is enough eyewitness evidence that Jesus actually was resurrected, that he was alive, that he still is alive. He never died again. He, he, he went to heaven, yes. But even for that, there were 12 at least that saw that, or 11 plus, you know, maybe a whole bunch of others. So Jesus wanted his disciples to be absolutely sure 
that he is alive. That's critical because without that, Paul says, we're the most wretched of people. If, if the resurrection didn't happen, you know, our faith is in vain. And then what are we doing? Gathering together every Sunday morning, spending time, you know, talking to each other about something that is irrelevant? No. So Jesus was very clear. He wanted to prove to his disciples that he was still around. And then he talks to them about three things, really. First thing, he talks to them about the kingdom. And I mean, I tell you what, I love the kingdom. I love that message. It wasn't a new message for the disciples. They had heard it. You know, the first, the very first thing that Jesus did, right when he got baptized and then went into the desert, you know, was tempted and he came out of the desert, he started to talk about the kingdom of God. And he said, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. So it was not something new for the disciples to hear that. But Jesus could have chosen any topic to talk with them about. He chose this one. He talked about the kingdom because it was critical for the disciples to understand that the kingdom of God is the central message in his teaching. While Jesus is talking about the kingdom... The disciples still don't get it. You know, did you notice in verse 6, I think it was, where they said, uh, Jesus, is this the time now for Israel to have its own kingdom again? You know, I, the disciples were pretty, you know, sort of our kingdom, our little space, our little thing, you know, our kingdom. But, you know, we're the same. You know, postmoderns, we are so focused on our little stories, you know. And, and there's something beautiful about that because, you know, before we, you know, we sort of tended to ignore that a little bit and thought, well, it's really the whole. But, you know, it's important that we, that we give due attention to our stories. But if that becomes the overarching narrative of our life, if it's just me, 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 if it's just my concerns, my little world, to the exclusion of everything else, we've missed the boat badly. Yeah? It's, it's the kingdom. It's the big meta-narrative of God that matters. And the question is, does my life align with the kingdom or not? Am I so focused around my concerns, around you know, my nine to five, my daily burdens, my challenges, you know, all the stuff that pertains to creating a secure and comfortable life, is that all that matters or is our focus somewhere else? I believe that's probably the first challenge for us in this text is to say, where am I aligned with the kingdom of God or does my narrative great against the kingdom and my bet would be not excluding myself that all of us struggle in that area that it's an ongoing challenge for us to see the big picture we also struggle with something else inherent in this kingdom thing and that is that the kingdom is here 
but it is not yet. You know, we have 7 billion plus people in this world now, and all of us make ongoingly, every day, bad choices. And out of those bad choices flow bad consequences that are displayed in the world around us. Look at the mess that we've created. Last night, I, I watched Al Jazeera about the war in Yemen. 29 kids were killed this last week through a bomb that was probably an American bomb sold to the Saudis, dropped onto a marketplace in Yemen. And everybody says, oh, it wasn't us. It wasn't me. It wasn't, you know. But at the end of the day, there was a man standing with a lifeless body, and he was shouting his rage into the camera. And you know what he said? Death to America. And America stands for Christians. And it's because our narrative is so focused around ourselves. That is what, you know, at the moment is the dominant discourse in American politics. America first. You know, we could say Germany first, New Zealand first. We, you know, we're, we're all the same. We want to, you know, build our own little kingdoms. And what it does, it destroys the narrative of the kingdom. And it gives Jesus a bad name. So, um, we struggle with that tension. Evil in this world. Kingdom come and not yet. I mean, we just saw a few pictures of kingdom coming, of kingdom invading. You know, the Akka tribe, you know, where a young woman is being discipled in a tribe where there's hardly any believers yet. You know, a, a poor village where, where suddenly there's economic opportunity uh, which, which leads to an openness to actually share and invest the gospel into that village. There is a rich home where the kingdom of God is starting to arrive. You know, so there's the kingdom not yet, but the kingdom already here. And that tension we live in, and we have to work with that tension. You know what? I also think that um, we have a tendency to emasculate the king. What do I mean by that? You know, we, we're all familiar with uh, the British royalty, right? Which is our New Zealand royalty as well. But, you know, it's a constitutional monarchy. And we've grown up with that image of a queen who is not really fully empowered. It is us, the people, who tell the queen what she can and cannot do. Right? I mean, in the final consequence, that's what constitutional monarchy is about. It's the prime minister who was elected by us, the people, who says this is the direction the government is going. Then the queen goes and opens parliament and says what the prime minister told her. Now, we've translated that somehow into scripture, and we make God a constitutional monarch in his own kingdom. But it's us, the people, who really want to have control and power. That doesn't work. Doesn't work. God is king. And we need to learn, need to learn afresh how to align ourselves with him. And you know, we can only do that. We can only do that if we learn to deeply, deeply fall in love with Jesus.
That's the face of the living God. Jesus said, I reveal the Father to you. If you see me, you have seen the Father. And it's only when we love Jesus and when, we, when there's nothing else that compels us but the love of Christ that we actually can live and serve the King of Kings and give him the place that he deserves. So that's a challenge for us. And um, I wished I could make it easier, but, you know, here it is. You know what? Actually, it isn't all that difficult. I've just come back from Germany, and I, one of the things I did over there was spend eight days in silence. I went to a little monastic community and sat for eight days with Jesus. No, no reading, no television, no social media, no nothing. Just being with Jesus, you know, and spending time every day with just a little bit of his scripture, meditating on, praying, sitting with it, walking with it, just, and you know what, oh, it's the most beautiful thing that you could imagine, it's the most transformative thing that you could imagine, you know, and all the stuff where we work so hard, we try so hard to be better Christians, forget about it, please don't try Please don't try to be a better Christian, but hang out with Jesus and, and, and fall in love with him. You know, that's, I wish I had more time to, to unpack that more, but, but I'll leave it at that and say that is the only way in which we will not disempower God in his kingdom. And that's the only way in which we will be a beautiful aroma for this world. Now quickly, the peaceable kingdom of God is for all people. That is what Jesus talks about here as well. And uh, that's not a new message either. You know, when you go back through Scripture, Psalm 67 says, you know, may all the nations praise you. Then you, God, will bless us. In Isaiah 9, we have that wonderful uh, story, this wonderful prediction that a child will be given to us, who will be the king, who will be the counselor of all. The government will be on his shoulder, and he will be the prince of peace for all peoples, for all nations. In Micah 4, it talks about people coming from all over the world to the mountain of the Lord so that he can teach them and show them his ways. In John 3.16, it talks about God so loved the world that he gave his son for all who would believe. No one excluded. Revelation 22.17, there's this beautiful invitation that says, Come, all you who are thirsty, not just a few. Come, all you who are thirsty, and drink, because I've got the water of life, and it's for free for you. So it's... It's first the prophets, and then it's Jesus, and now it is our turn to actually go and take that message to all peoples. And that is the third point that I wanted to make, is that Jesus commissions his disciples to go. He says to be witnesses to his peaceable kingdom. And he says, you will be. It's not just... Uh, you know, something that we can choose. He said, you will be witnesses. Now, that ties back in with what I said before, you know. It's actually a scary thing because by very nature, 
as followers of Jesus, we are witnesses to him. Our neighbors look at us and they say, okay, so that's what a Christian is like. This world looks at the church and says, oh, that's what Christians are like. And I'll tell you what, often we don't measure up. So our witness can be a positive or a negative. What do we want it to be? We want to honor Jesus. We want to live a life that is pleasing Him and that will say to the world, this is the best choice that you can ever make. There's nothing better than loving Jesus, walking with Him and being enveloped by that triune community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, there's a beautiful uh, piece of Scripture that actually talks about this interaction, this Acts 1 Scripture. It talks about Jesus introducing the disciples to the Spirit, saying, He will come, He will empower you. And it talks about the kingdom of His Father. So we have them all three acting together here. And that is our invitation to be His witnesses to all the peoples of this world. You know, a friend of mine in Germany told me a story. You would be familiar with the fact that in 2015, Germany opened its doors to Syrian refugees and about a million flooded into the country within a very short time. To be honest, I tell you, that was the moment when I said, I'm proud to be a German. To this day, I look back, and I know that they've tried to roll back on that and all of that, but I thought, yes, because our Chancellor, Angela Merkel, said, if we as Germans, rich country that we are, country with a Christian heritage, if we cannot handle it, who can? And a friend of mine told me that uh, one day in their church, the door opened and this family of Syrians, an, an old grandfather with his sons and daughters-in-law and their children came into their little church. And they talked with him and found out that that was their first Sunday in Germany. And he said, you know, I've lived all my life in Syria. I'm a Muslim. My family, we're all Muslims. We've longed for the day when we could go and find out about Jesus. And their first Sunday in Germany, they went to the church to find out. You know, that's... The message of Jesus is good news to the peoples of this world. And our invitation is... Um, to simply walk with Him, to align ourselves with Him, to get to know Him, day by day, to enjoy His presence, and then to watch what happens, to allow the presence of Jesus to break out from our lives into the communities around us. So, I would invite you as you go away from here today to ponder that a little bit. What about your part in that grand narrative, that kingdom story? How aligned are you with His story? 
How well and intimately do you know Him? Is there an invitation to grow deeper, to go deeper? There always is. There's no condemnation. There's just invitation to be empowered, to be filled with His Holy Spirit and to be caught up in this grand love affair that is the narrative of the kingdom. And out of that, to explore where is God inviting you to be His witness? Here in Jerusalem? Or maybe a little bit further out, you know, the Judeas, the Samarias, or the ends of the earth? Can I pray? Father, we thank you that this is good news. This is, this is the best news that, that we could have, that there is a kingdom, that there is a king, that there is a king who is not a tyrant, there is not a, a, a king who uh, yeah, lays down the law on his people and, and uh, yeah, watches over them with the whip, but that there is love, pure love, that came to pay the price, to make a way, and to empower and to to strip away all that that hinders, all that that is bondage and pain, and to create something that is new. Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters, as I pray for myself daily, that we together would be people who live to please you, that we would be people who would have an all-consuming passion for the presence of Jesus in our lives that we would be so in love with Jesus that we couldn't help but be witnesses, bearing testimony to that transformative power that is within us. So I want to speak blessing over you, brothers and sisters, for today, for tomorrow, for the week that is ahead, that you would walk in the prepared ways of God, that you would enter into more of love with Jesus, that you would have eyes that would begin to see that your uh, bondages or broken places would be healed, would be unshackled, that you would be set free, that the Holy Spirit would come upon you in a new measure, that you would be His witnesses here in this suburb, and that truly, Truly, this church would become a magnet for people, that many would come and that the numbers would double within this coming year simply because of the quality of love for Jesus. And out of that, the love for each other increasing. I want to bless you, nonetheless, to be also witnesses to the ends of the earth way outside of your comfort zone, that you would be led in the ways of God, and that He would wrap you up in His mantle of peace.